Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. Hey, Area 10. Good to, good to be with you guys this morning here in your living room, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I hope, hope you uh, have your cup of coffee and are ready to go. Um, before we get started, there's two things I want to let you know. If you go to area10church.com slash connect, you can fill out a connect card there. Um, it, it's hard for us to know sometimes, like, hey, who's watching, who's with us, who's checking in from wherever you are in, in our city or in the country. So if you fill out that connect card, it's really helpful for us to just kind of know who you are and maybe reach out to you, and, and uh, that, would be, that would be great. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is, during my message, if you have questions about what I'm talking about, um, you can use our, uh, you can use the YouTube stream and you can write a question in there, or you can text the number that we'll put up on the screen. You could text a question to that number, and uh, I'll, I'll try to answer when I'm done here at the end. I'll try to answer as many questions as I can. It's a good way for us to kind of be interactive during this whole process. Um, I want to talk today about uh, a little bit about people who are really full of themselves. Uh, and I was thinking specifically about professional athletes. Athletes can get very, um, very cocky, sort of be hotheads, very full of themselves. And I was thinking about certain athletes that were great at what they did, but also like trash talked big time in, in history. And there, there have been a lot of them. Um, I got an example of a couple of them to show you and, and different things that they said. Um, Ronaldo, you, some of you may know Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, uh, soccer player, football player. Uh, he plays in, in Italy right now. And uh, he, he won time said, God sent me to earth to show the world how to play football. Isn't that nice? As, as if God was just wondering how he was going to show the world how to play football, and he, and he sent us Cristiano Ronaldo. That's, that's really great. Uh, somebody who was famously a trash talker, and there's loads of things from this guy, is Muhammad Ali, the, the fighter. Um, he, he, he said all sorts of crazy stuff, but one time he said, I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock him out, I pick the round which I thought was impressive. He could pick whatever round he was gonna knock people out. So he was famously said all sorts of crazy stuff. But one of, the, one of the most cocky, crazy quotes I've heard from an athlete comes from Mike Tyson, uh, also a boxer, and uh, he was about to fight Lennox Lewis, and as he was getting prepared for that fight, he said this, I'm the best ever, I'm the most brutal and vicious and ruthless champion that's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Lennox is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. There's no one like me. I'm from their cloth. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. So... That got weird there, especially at the end. I took that to a whole, whole other level of trash talking and, and cockiness. Um, and there's been loads of them throughout history. Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, there's a lot of people who just say stuff. And I, honestly, just, just me, I think it's kind of funny when, when athletes do it, especially if they have the game to back it up. But that kind of hot-headed cockiness, that lack of humility, I don't like seeing that in other people that aren't 
you know, in professional sports or whatever. I, I, I don't like seeing cockiness in, in just in the, in the regular world, I guess. And, and you probably don't either. Think about if your boss is really cocky. Like, do you love that? Pro- probably not. Um, if your spouse is just a hothead and is really cocky, do you love that? Not really. If you see cockiness in your children, uh, do you think, oh, that's such a great character quality. I'm so proud of them. No, not really. Uh, if your boyfriend's a hothead, do you, do you love that about him? Probably not. When we, when we see cockiness in athletes, fine. But when we see it in other facets of life, when we see it in leaders, uh, we don't like that. In fact, what we want from leaders is sort of the opposite of that. We want to see leaders who are truly humble. That's really what we're looking for. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, said that the two main character qualities of CEOs who took companies from being a good company to a great company, the two main qualities they had was like this indomitable will for the organization to succeed. So they were extremely driven and they had a high level of humility. Humility, research shows this over and over, humility is extremely important in, in leadership at, at all sorts of levels. A book I read a few years ago with, with, our, with our church staff is a book called The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, he, he wrote this book and he gives these um, qualities of leaders, leaders who, um, different, different, uh, or, or different qualities that you're looking for in people who work at an organization. Um, and so he gives three qualities throughout the book. I'll ruin the book for you. He gives these three things that everybody you work with and work for, you want them to have these three things. They're supposed to be humble, they're supposed to be hungry, and they're supposed to be smart. So the whole book does data on that. There's quizzes you can take about your team and all that kind of stuff. And I read through the whole book, and then at the very end, there's like the appendix at the end of the book, and then there's this one chapter, a very short chapter at the very end of the book called One Final Thought. And in that chapter, after he's unpacked humble, hungry, and smart for the whole book, in that last chapter, this is what he says. I I, I thought this was so interesting. He said this, but I must admit, Apart from the other two virtues, humility stands alone. It is indeed the greatest of all virtues and the antithesis of pride, which is the root of all sin, according to the Bible. The most compelling example of humility in the history of mankind can be found in Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. He attracted people of all kinds when he walked the earth and continues to do so today, providing an example of humility that is as powerful as it is countercultural. Now keep in mind the ideal team player, this book is not a religious book. He just put this in at the end and he said, hey, if you really want to, the, the, the most important quality for people to have is humility. And if you really want to know where humility comes from, look at Jesus. Now that may sound weird to you because when you think of Jesus, you may not first think of humility. You think, oh, here's somebody who thought they were God. People worship them. That doesn't sound very humble to me. But I want to show it to you because we're in this series called Rise Up right now and we're looking at qualities uh, of leadership, qualities that we need to be better leaders in, in all aspects of our lives, whether it's at home or at work or wherever. And, and we're looking at those throughout this series and we're looking at ways that if we, if we adopt these qualities of, as our own and we really internalize these, that we can rise up because one day this shelter at home thing's going to be over and we're, we're gonna be back together and let's come back together, uh, however we come out of this thing, let's come back together stronger and let's rise up. And so we're looking at some of these qualities and. and and today I want, I want us to look at how Jesus demonstrates and gives us a leadership lesson on humility. If you think about it, Jesus actually was very humble. 
Here's a couple ways. Jesus was a humble learner. He was a humble learner. We don't often think about that because we go, oh, he's God. He knows everything. But there's a human side to him where he grew. Uh, He developed, especially as a young man or as a boy. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's weird to think about that Jesus maybe didn't have as much wisdom and then he had to grow in that. But that was part of him taking on flesh, becoming human. He, he learned and grew. And, and how weird would it have been for, for Jesus the boy to be learning? He would go to synagogue and listen to rabbis teach about God. And Jesus would be sitting there like, I mean, that's like, I am God. So what are you really gonna be able to teach me? Like he would be that kid in class who has all the answers. You know that kid? You know, and so he, he's that guy. Um, and yet, there's a humble side to Jesus where he says, where, where the scripture says that he grows in wisdom. He didn't play that card with people. So Jesus was a humble learner. Jesus was also, he also showed humility as a Roman citizen. So when Jesus is teaching and ministering as an adult, it would have been very easy for him as God in the flesh to sort of big dog the, the leaders of the day. He could have been like, Caesar ain't no thing, like don't worry about him. I'm, I'm the true king here. He could have, he could have played that card a lot, um, and, and, but you don't see that. In fact, one time Jesus was asked, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because the, the Jews were oppressed by the Romans, they were occupied by the Romans, and they didn't like the idea of the taxation, and they come to Jesus to have him weigh in on it, like, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar, to, to the emperor in Rome, or is that, is that foul, is that terrible, we shouldn't be doing that? Uh, it, it's written about in uh, Mark chapter 12. Listen to what it says. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And like many questions, this is a trap they're trying to get Jesus to answer. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, you can imagine him holding up a coin. They said to him, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. So Jesus sidesteps their trap and their question, but, but I want you to see the humility he shows because this is the moment. There could have been this encounter here where he goes, man, Caesar ain't no thing. Don't worry about him. Don't give him any money. Don't worry about that fool. Like He's gonna be gone, but I'm, I'm the real king here. But he doesn't do that. He's like, all right, if Caesar wants money and his picture's on it, give it to him. It's, it's a humble posture that he takes towards Roman authority. It's a sign of humility. He doesn't act like he's above the law. Jesus also showed humility as a child of God. Um, you, you see it in the way that he talks about his heavenly father, that he was in relationship with his father just like we are in relationship with our, our heavenly father. John chapter five, verse 19 says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Isn't that weird? Like, Jesus has the power of God and he's walking around and he said, and he basically says, hey, I, I can't do anything on my own. I'm only going to do 
what my heavenly father lays out for me, what I, what I see him doing, then I'm going to uh, follow that. And, and so he puts himself under, under God there. And it's, it's really weird. I mean, of all people, Jesus could have played the daddy card a lot harder, right? He could have got out of responsibilities. He could have got out of things by, by appealing to his dad. He could, have, he could have rolled up when he saw the messes around him, when he saw the sinfulness of people, when he saw the brokenness of the culture. He could have rolled up on them like Draco Malfoy and been like, my father will hear about this. You know, he could have, he could have done that thing, but he doesn't. He goes, no, I'm... I'm I'm in relationship with my heavenly father and I'm gonna do what I see him doing or what, the way he instructs me. It's, it's a humble posture that he takes as a child of God. That humble Jesus is our leader and he launched a revolution. He was the most effective leader in the history of history. We're still talking today about things he did 2,000 years ago and the kind of humility that he demonstrated is the kind of humility we are called to demonstrate. I think it's best written about in the New Testament, in the, in the book of Philippians. The apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi, and he's instructing this church. These are, these are new churches, right? They're trying to figure out what it means to be people of faith and live out their faith in Christ. And, he, and he's talking to them, and he points them to uh, humility and the humility of Christ and how it's an example for them. Listen to Philippians chapter two. I, I love this text in the New Testament. Philippians two, starting with verse three, he says this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So first idea we get from this is this. Number one, humility is others focused. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but actually consider other people and, and don't just think about them. Think about them as being uh, more, more important than you or, or, or better than you. That doesn't say don't ever have ambition. I'm an ambitious person. I know a lot of you out there uh, are pretty ambitious people too. Um, it, it's not wrong or bad to have ambition, uh, but what we're called to is to, to put a filter on that, to put some sort of governor over that ambition and not make it a selfish thing. Not, don't be driven just to be all about yourself, but rather think about the other people that you can impact in the world. And this is an opportunity to examine our own hearts and go, man, um, if I'm going to be humble, I need to be others-focused. Am I being others-focused? C.S. Lewis said, true, hum true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. So it's not thinking, oh, I'm a terrible person. It's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm not so much the factor here. I want to think about the people that are around me. And that is tough for us. I think our culture sort of reinforces this idea that we are sort of walking around like we're all in our own Truman show, as if the, the cameras are always pointed at us, which is a weird thing to say since there's a camera pointed to me right now. But that's only just right now. For the rest of my life, no cameras. Uh, and, it's, and it's weird um, because we, we act like, okay, everybody wants to see me. And so there's, you know, the, the selfie culture, right? The, the very, you know, I'm going to make this face in the, in the picture and I'm going to post pictures about me and I'm going to post all my thoughts all the time. And this has really been amplified in the last decade or so with, with social media that we're always um, kind of about ourselves. Even the way we respond to the virus gets very... 
self-referential, even if we're not incredibly narcissistic, there's always those questions that come. How are you doing? What's going on with you? And those aren't bad questions to ask for me to be others focused. But a lot of times we, are, we train others or we even are, are trained ourselves to think about everything through the terms of, of how it affects me. How am I doing? Oh, how am I responding to COVID-19? Uh, what's on my mind today? You know, that kind of thing. Um, all day, every day, questions come at you that kind of put you at the center of the universe. And Paul says, no, put others there. Put others first. That is, that is the humble thing to do. Humility is others focused. Let's continue on in Philippians 2. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he, he says, look, have this mindset, and then he points us back to Jesus. Jesus was God, but he didn't account quality as a thing, equality as a thing to, with God to be grasped, uh, which brings us to the second idea, number two. Humility doesn't grasp for rights and privileges. Man, I, I bet there were so many opportunities Jesus had or so many times he would have wanted to assert his rights and privileges, to be like, I'm God, I'm a big deal, all y'all just need to, to back off. I heard a story one time of a, a college student who was taking an exam and the professor said, you have two hours for this exam and so everybody, a whole bunch of students pile into the classroom and they're all taking this exam, they got two hours and over the course of that two hours as everybody finishes their exam, they take their test, they take it up to the, the professor's desk, they leave it on his desk and then they leave the room. Well, there was one student, the two hour mark came and went and everybody else left the room and he's still sitting there working on his exam. He's taking the test, just working on it, working on it. 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by, and finally, at the two hours and 30 minute mark, he gets up and he walks up to the professor to turn in his test. And the professor looks at him and says, uh, I can't accept that, what are you doing? You were told you have two hours for this exam, and it's been two and a half hours. And the student looks right back at the professor and goes, do you know who I am? And the professor, I mean, it's a massive class, right? And the professor's thinking like, who is this kid? Is he like the son of a senator or son of one of the school administration or something? And the professor goes, no. And the kid lifts up the stack of tests and he slides his test right into the middle and puts it down and walks away. And I was like, all right, that's, that's pretty clever. I was thinking about, I think about that as I read some of these stories of Jesus interacting with people. How often do you think Jesus wanted to be like, Hey, do you know who I am, everybody? You're all, you're all, you're fussing and fighting. You're challenging me. Do you know who I am? Because I'm a pretty big deal. And yet, he doesn't assert himself like that. Um, he he is he he doesn't pull the the rights and privileges card out on people. Um, and in leadership, we're not, we shouldn't do that either. We shouldn't grasp at a title and use that to lead. Um, we, we should not say I'm the boss and you have to do what I say. If, if you're saying, in, if you're leading someone and you're saying I'm the boss and you have to do what I say, um, you've probably already lost that, that relationship with an employee. Now, I guess if you're a parent and you have a toddler and you say I'm the boss, you have to do what I say, that's cool. But, um, but when working with adults, um, we don't want to assert those rights and privileges. Really, leadership from a high level should look like the opposite of that, not asserting that I'm the boss, you have to do what I say, but rather going to people who work for you and saying things like, how can I help you? How, wh how can I help you succeed? 
Um, what obstacles in your, are in your way that you need me to clear out of the way for you? Those are good questions to ask regularly if, if, you, if you oversee any team of people. Ask that and, and put yourself in a position of serving the people who maybe work under you on an organizational chart. But that's, that's humility. That's, that's, gra- that's not grasping for the privilege and saying, you're just going to have to do it for me. And then there's final piece here for humility uh, that we see from Jesus in, in verse 8 of Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The final piece of humility here is this. Number three, humility obeys the Lord. Jesus models that obedience to his heavenly father. He models that throughout the gospels. Um, I, I, one of the most striking places you see it is that on the night that he's going to be betrayed, he prays with his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. And as he prays there, he prays to his heavenly father and says, if there's another way than me being crucified, if there's another way we can do this, let's do that. And then he ends out by saying, but not my will, but your will be done. He, he says, look, I have my preferences. I have the, the, the human side of Jesus says, I, I have a way I would like this to go, but I will submit my will to your will. I will obey what you say for me to do. And he models that. that is a, there's great humility in that. And I think we have that opportunity as well to be humble leaders, to, to obey the Lord and say, man, I'm going to find out what you want, and I'm going to do it, um, and, not, and not make it all about, all about me. Um, and, and, and our humility get, really gets tested when God calls to do something that we don't want to do. If, if, if God calls me to do all the things I already was planning on doing and already wanted to do, there's not a lot of hu- uh, humility in that. There's not a lot of obedience that gets tested. It is at the moment that God says, do this, and I'm like, ooh, I don't want to do that. That's when the obedience gets tested. That's when it's like, do you really obey God or do you only use God to, to bless your decisions you know, when, it, when it's convenient? There's, there's true humility where we, uh, where we obey God and we lay down our preferences uh, to follow him and for the good of others. You know, humility, the, the, the Latin word, I think actually is pretty helpful. It comes from a root word of humus, which is a word for earth. And so when we think humility, we're thinking of um, kind of salt of the earth, maybe that idea, or, or in the ground, or in the soil, or, or basically this idea of being very low to the ground. And I think that's actually a good picture of, of humility. To be humble is to actually be pretty lowly, and, and, and I like that image. We, we, we kind of teach the opposite in leadership, and we think about leadership the opposite way. We think that leaders are people at the top of a pyramid. They are on a horse, on a high horse. They have the, the top office. They're, they're at the top of the organizational chart. That's the leaders, all of those people that are up there. And yet, humility says, no, no, it's not about being up there. It's about being down here. It's about being low to the ground. Um, I've, I've heard someone say that um, if, you, if you think something is beneath you, you're probably not humble enough. 
you're probably not bowing low enough to the ground if you're like, nah, that's beneath me. No, get lower then. Um, And I think that's maybe a good measuring stick for us. What is it that you consider to be beneath you? Um, and, and, And really look into your own heart on that. So we're gonna take communion and, and celebrate uh, Christ, that what Christ did was, was get raised up uh, on a cross, but in doing that, he was actually at his lowest point that, that he had ever been. It was, a, it was, a, it was an empty, it was a, it was a lonely space that he, that he entered into as he went up on the cross. We're gonna celebrate that he went on the cross and as, as Philippians 2 said, he became obedient to his heavenly father even to the point of death on the cross. We celebrate that. So since we can't do this together, and, and this is one of the things that I'm really looking forward to being able to do together when we get back together, but if, if you can in your home to take bread and juice or bread and wine or something that, that, that can substitute as that, uh, take that t- together. We're going to sing a worship song uh, together and then I'll come back and answer some questions. But we'll sing a worship song. As we're doing that worship song, um, take a moment to thank Jesus for becoming that humble servant and for taking our sins with him on the cross. We'll thank him for that. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sing together and then I'll just wrap up with a, few, with a little bit of Q&A. So let's, let's pray together. God, I thank you for the humility that we see in Christ, that he models it for us, that he is obedient, that, that he shows us the way to walk. God, he does not change the world from asserting his rights and privileges. He changed the world by being a humble servant and inspiring millions and millions of people throughout history to follow in his footsteps. God, may we uh, do that in our time, in our day, in our culture, in our context. May we be humble leaders. Um, Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you for worshiping with us today and and joining us. Um, I was asked about, to to just do a sort of follow-up to the message about some some ways to think through how are we selfless instead of thinking of ourselves less? Um, how, what does it look like to be selfless? And I think this varies by, by context. Um, there's th- the things at work. So for example, that we, we could, what would it look like to be selfless at work? Um, that's tricky, right? Because a lot of people are in work cultures where self-promotion is how you get promoted. Um, but even in context like that, um, I have seen people who are genuinely who are genuinely humble get still get a lot of respect because I think people know that there's a self-promotion game in the workplace and that if you can, if you can be humble, if you can be a, hey, let, let me help you out, yeah, what do you need? Like um, very, very supportive. Um, I think that's a way to be, to be selfless even in some of those self-promoting cultures. I think about in the home, um, to be selfless is to be the person to volunteer to wash the dishes or to be the person to volunteer to take the garbage out or, or all of the kind of the, the household chores. Um, I, get, I get frustrated in my own house because there's five of us and we pile up a lot of those things, dishes and stuff. And, and after doing the dishes about, you know, several times in a row and kind of doing that without being asked or, or whatever, I just sort of follow along behind people and clean up dishes. Sometimes I get very like, man, why, why, won't, why am I the only person doing this? You know, and, and that becomes a very uh, a selfish thing where I, start, where I start drifting into that place of like, I deserve this and why won't they help me? And, and that's where I have to check myself uh, and go, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve this family um, and, and, and to model, model servanthood, I, I, I would say. And so um, 
just there maybe some those are some of the little practical steps you can take to to be selfless rather than think of yourself uh, rather rather than just being uh, you know the sort be selfless not selfish um, is is to do some of that. Um, I have one more quote I want to share with you. I really liked this one. I just didn't fit it into the sermon. G.K. Chesterton, who's always good. Um, he talks about um, humility uh, and, 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 and how it sort of fits with ambition and conviction. And listen to what he says. What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition and settled upon the organ of conviction, which it was never meant to be. A man, this is great, a man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. And I love that, the, the idea that we would have conviction about the truth, about, about Christ, and say, okay, I have more conviction about that, and then maybe a little more a doubt about ourselves, like, okay, but I, but I screw up, I'm a, I'm a broken person, rather than, oh, I'm so awesome, but I don't trust anything as being true. So that, I thought that was pretty good also. Um, I want to let you know just a, a few things coming up to, to tell you about. Um, what, somebody asked about the the prayer walk, the prayer garden. Um, our random correspondent showed you a little bit about that. The prayer walk starts at Bev's Ice Cream and kind of works its way around Carytown. That's gonna be up through May 28th. So through the month of May, when you get a good weather day, come on out and just walk through Carytown and pray for the businesses that you see. And you'll see on some light poles around, around some orange signs that will direct you how to pray. That's gonna be up through May 28th because on May 28th, we are ending our 40 days of prayer thing with, uh, with an evening of prayer and worship. The, the worship band is coming together. They're going to, uh, we're gonna put that out on that night at seven o'clock. Um, and it's gonna be a time of, of singing praise to God. And we will also be doing prayers for our community. Um, through that time, we're gonna use some of the prayers that were put in the prayer garden, the prayer requests that are put in there. We'll pray through some of those as well. So that's gonna be a good night coming up. Uh, so mark that on your calendar, Thursday, May 28th. It's going to be better than wh- whatever Netflix show you're binging right now. Uh, it's certainly better than that thing with tigers and cats and whatever. Uh, so hopefully you can uh, join us for that. That's coming up. As far as other stuff, um, I am updating. There's a, there's a, if you're unaware of this, every Wednesday night, Thursday morning, somewhere in that time frame, there's a YouTube video that we put out that I'm giving a midweek update as a church, a lot of that is aimed at um, just talking through um, coronavirus stuff, not like a medical update because that's not my jam, but just how we live out our lives as people of faith during this time and what it means and, and uh, just some thoughts we're having as church leadership on that. So that comes out middle of the week, every week. Check back here on the Area 10 Faith Community channel on YouTube for some thoughts there. You can go back and watch the last couple as well. Um, just because I didn't want to talk coronavirus all the time on Sunday mornings, but there's stuff there to, to talk about. I hope you are uh, blessed right now. I hope God is doing something in you and through you during this time. Um, uh, you're, uh, we're all sort of anxious for things to, to, to move forward and, and not be so unsure, um, but that's, that's kind of where we're at. And so uh, I'm praying that God does stuff in our community here. Um, we're in a lot of conversation and, and, and checking in with the Bird Theater to, to see 
what their plan is and, and how we can support them, and we'll, we'll keep you posted as, as we know things about um, what it would look like to gather together. Uh, hopefully, your small groups are, are, are going well. If you're in a, a small group study with us, you're continuing to do that and, uh, and, and checking in and, and praying for each other during this time. So thanks for worshiping with us today. And, and being part of this thing. Let's, uh, let's pray as we, as we wrap up this morning. Lord Jesus, walk with us today, this week, um, in the different life schedule that we're in, the, the, the weird um, sheltered home stuff, the, the, the new challenges that this presents. But God, there's also new opportunities here to reflect maybe some more or deeper or do some of those things that we say, oh, I never have time help us in that. Uh, God, I pray for people who uh, are, are working in, in the front that our culture is facing in, in healthcare, in um, the economy, and some challenges there. Uh, I pray you give people rest and peace um, and help them to make wise decisions about um, the, the, the way forward. Um, God, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a weird time, but we know that... Uh, Ultimately, you are in control, and we, we submit to that. Um, thank you, Lord, for this, uh, for this beautiful weekend and this beautiful day. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace, everyone. Where may I go?